Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. I got to start off with a burning question, my friend. Another burning question. I've missed these. Okay. I know. I'm sure you've missed them. Okay. Are you devastated by the news about McLeod's daughters? Oh, that the reboot fell through. You know, we'll always have the original. And boy, did it have a good run. Nine years being the number one show in Australia. I'd feel a little oinky if I were totally devastated that we don't get the reboot. But of course, I'm dying to read the script. Just to update our listeners, especially those who follow McLeod's Daughters, it all fell apart over the script. Apparently, they wanted to make changes to the script that she didn't feel were going to uh, be up to the standards that she'd set with the original series. So they all parted ways happily ever after, supposedly. I loved Posey's post about it and creative differences, and that's just part of the industry. And they, you know, agreed beforehand that if they weren't totally in solidarity about the direction it would take, that they would just part friends. So we'll put a link up on our site. But I would just like to also say that <laughs> Posey is, is like you. Like, if I don't have something nice to say, then I'm not going to say anything at all. I want to sit next to the person who really talks about what happened behind closed doors. Because (laughs) I can't believe if it had gotten that far where she'd actually submitted a script, I can't believe that it's all as nicey-nicey as everybody's saying it is. And yet, I'm so flattered you just compared me to Posey. You just made my day, Hollister. I know, I know. Well, what can I tell you? Well, she wouldn't want to sit next to me at a party either, but maybe she'll tell you more. (laughs) So, you know, I just wanted to know if you were okay. I hope you are. Much ado in our inboxes over the past seven days. Certainly, let's start with some input um, from Friday, uh, which we reviewed in our last podcast. And this was a short that you and our guest podcaster, Diane Barrett, saw at the Hamptons International Film Festival. We did. And I sang the praises of uh, the star of Friday. And she sent us a lovely note, couldn't have been nicer, about how much she'd appreciated our our kind words. And then we got a note from one of her family members. We can't say who it is because at the end of the note, it was so cute. And she said that she just wanted to let us know that she has been in a full length feature, although it wasn't on our IMDb page. So I hope it is by now, but, um, and the feature was truth slash fiction is a pilot in which she won best actress in a comedy award in the ITV fest. She also had a starring role on MTV's Eye Candy and was recurring guest roles on NBC Shades of Blue. In addition to many other projects, she can be seen um, in your reference to that face. As magnetic as it is, she is just as humble, which is why I sometimes take the liberty to elaborate on certain details. But she doesn't know, so she'll get mad at me if... (laughs) We say anything, so I just have to say I wish I had I wish I had people I was close to who would stand up for me like that. So we're not going to out you who wrote us in, but there's apparently more to her creds than I was able to dig up on IMDb. So I hope they update IMDb shortly. And again, one of the great performances for sure. And Hollister, we also got a nice note from Erica in Wisconsin, who said the author of the book about Einstein's wife, the other Einstein, Marie Benedict, was presenting in Madison, Wisconsin this week. And she thought about our discussion and she wanted to share the book with us. Although she said she also suspected that we already might have known about it. Well, I think you mentioned the book actually in our podcast, but I emailed her back and I asked her to give me something memorable about the discussion that she viewed. And here's what she wrote back. The most memorable comment was when she discussed the comparison and contrast with Madame Curie, which is a movie you also reviewed, O'Toole. 
Um, and she said both women were Eastern European and very intelligent, but it was a man's world in science. So why was Madame Curie a successful and well-known researcher who won the Nobel Prize and Maliva was not? Question mark. It came down to who she was married to. Einstein never gave Maleva any credit for her work as opposed to Pierre. She told a story about Pierre Curie making sure that Maria received credit for the Nobel Prize. So, you know, it goes back to my comments when we watched that incredible series. Einstein wasn't such a great guy after all. You know, it's funny because he's often quoted in connection with love and energy and peace. But yeah, you could have worked on his husband skills a little bit there. His people (laughs) skills, absolutely. So thank you, Erica, for writing in. Really appreciate it. What, What a great conversation around there. Absolutely. Yeah. And Hollister, you know, I was just in Louisville, Kentucky for a film shoot, and I learned a couple interesting bits of trivia that connect Louisville to Hollywood. Okay. Can you name a famous actor working today who's from Louisville? Okay, let me think about that. I say actor as gender neutral. Could be male or female. Well, you know what you just said then. <laughs> You're just telling me that the actor is, is female. Is that right? Well, I can't imagine. Who might it be? Okay, here's your second clue. She is the highest paid actress in the world. Oh, well, it would be Jennifer Lawrence. That's right. Yes. I, actually, I knew that she was from Louisville. Yeah, I knew mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and where her brothers, her brothers tormented her as a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, here's another famous star. Both of his parents are from Louisville, and he went to high school there. Can you name him? No. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't tell me. Wait, a famous star went to high school. Was it Brad Pitt or Cooney or somebody? Clooney? You know, you're, well, Clooney's family is definitely from Kentucky, not Louisville per se, but it's Tom Cruise. Ah, uh, okay. Is this how legal? You trust me? No! In his newest movie, American Maid, Sarah Wright plays his wife, and she's also from Louisville. There you go. Okay, and the last one, a five-time Oscar nominee, kind of from the golden era of Hollywood, Irene Dunn was from Louisville, who did all those movies with Cary Grant, Penny Serenade, The Awful Truth, My Favorite Wife. Mrs. Mulligan returned after an absence of considerable length to find that Mr. Mulligan, the husband, had remarried. Now, Mrs. Mulligan Benson, or rather Mrs. Benson Mulligan, the second wife. It was a sort of a mulligan stew. (laughs) And while you were off doing smart things at Louisville, I went to see Marshall, the movie about Thurgood Marshall. I did. We've got weapons we didn't have before. We've got the law. Now, this one screened at the Hamptons International Film Festival, and I'm dying to hear what you thought about it. Okay, well, here's the thing. So who doesn't want to know how this man of color came up at a time when no one ever thought a person of color would actually be on the Supreme Court? And so you get all excited that you're going to watch this man come up the ranks to the Supreme Court on the screen, and voila, instead, you're sort of caught in this slow grow about one case he worked on, And while it's an interesting case, don't get me wrong, I mean, it's very interesting where Kate Hudson lies about a relationship with a, quote, colored man in Greenwich, Connecticut, no less. It's not enough uh, to make the film that we all want to see. And so I can't really recommend it. But the other thing is, and this is really terrible, I feel bad saying this, but I decided I'm saying it anyway because I must be authentic here. So the acting is very good. Everybody's excellent. There's no question that they've all done a really good job. But Josh Gad plays the, um, the lawyer that the court would allow to speak in this case. 
case is true case. Sam Friedman. Good to meet you, Sam. Hey, give me a hand with these, would you? What have you got in here? Cement? Guns. Books, Mr. Friedman. So Josh Gad plays that, and he was good. Don't get me wrong. He was fine. He was in Beauty and the Beast. He's, you saw him in Frozen, etc. But you know who it should have been? Um, All right, look at Josh no. Gad and then tell me immediately who I'm going to say should have played the role. Okay, I'm going to go to IMDb. I'm looking at Josh Gad. Do I need to look at him from a still from the movie? Oh, it doesn't matter. If you just look at him, you're going to know exactly who I'm going to talk about. He looks a little like that lawyer from The Practice. And your time is up. It should have been Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill has the depth to play the confusion, the consternation, the fear, and the rage that needs to take place on the face and the actions of, of this lawyer. It's the most important role. It's much more important than Marshall's role. And it should have been Jonah Hill. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, hashtag sorry, not sorry, but that's what it should have been. <laughs> that is your verdict. Yeah, now, it's my verdict. Exactly, it's my verdict. Oh, that's so funny. You're so clever. Now, you know, I, I might need to file a motion for appeal. <laughs> but, but you know what it does is it calls to action that I want to know more about Marshall's, uh, Marshall's journey to get to the Supreme Court. And I hope someone does a really good film that walks us through the whole thing. This could have been five minutes in an hour and a half film, and that would have been enough. Um, but by the way, Kate Hudson playing a socialite who's lying, not a bad role for her at all. Neither of them have been telling us the truth. He attacked me! She was yep. she was very good. Now, how was Chadwick Boseman as Thurgood Marshall? He was okay. You know, I mean, again, we didn't get enough of him. You know, it was all about the case, and he's sort of in and out of it, and you definitely see what he's up against being the lawyer that he was, but it's just not in a big enough role to give me a sense of who he was as a human being and what he went through. This here is Mr. Thurgood Marshall. The man is an attorney. You will treat him with the respect that he deserves. Well, then I'm going to say that title... You know, Marshall. you could file a truth and advertising claim. Well, it was funny because, you know, there's another film with the title of Marshall. I'm assuming you're not talking about forgetting Sarah Marshall. So We Are Marshall? Is that the one you mean yeah, with we Matthew are. McConaughey? Yes. So so there was another film, um, We Are Marshall, that's about the football team that went down in an airplane crash in the 70s. And so Marshall has that word around it. I think the, the when they do the next narrative, which I'm sure they'll do, it should just be called Thurgood. Because Thurgood, you can't confuse that with anything else. And I love that his name actually ended in good. You know, uh, one of my law school professors actually clerked for Thurgood Marshall, and well, I always thought, boy, well, what an amazing experience that would have been. He didn't look like an easy guy, that's for sure. I think he was, mm -hmm. you know, his sense of excellence got in the way of kindness sometimes. But, mm -hmm. you know, I can live with that. Don't any of you have any confidence in me? I'd say you have enough confidence for us all. Now, two more cast members I have to ask about. Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us. How was he in his role? I never touched that woman. You know, not memorable, but okay. You know, it was sort of, I thought it was sort of an easy role. He's the uh, the man stand accused, and um, not much to say about him. It wasn't a really big part, to tell you the truth. Okay, and then one more. Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey. <laughs> Up until the Christmas special from Downton Abbey. Again, not, none of the roles were big enough to really, you know, put it in there. He plays the prosecuting attorney, but we see him maybe eight times for less than 30 seconds each time. So I can't really speak. You know, he, he just wasn't a main player in it, you know. And yet 
he was one of the main players in Beauty and the Beast. So that's two cast members from one of your favorite movies. I know, right? Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So I was really glad to see it, but it's not, the story is not a two-hour story. And it's not that they didn't write it well or the script wasn't good or anything else. It's just it's too drawn out. And really, we want to see what happens next and what, how did he get to where he got. And, you know, it's just all missing, you know. So too many you holes know, in a storyline that we want to know more about. I have the feeling that Thurgood Marshall's life could make for a really interesting miniseries. Absolutely. Well, maybe you should start working on that screenplay in your spare time. <laughs> you know, you're onto something there, Hollister. I know, I am. Absolutely. Okay, and now we're going to roll into our feature this week. Yes. So this is one that we reviewed again at the Hamptons International Film Festival. They do such an amazing job of picking their movies that it's true. We could just spend weeks and weeks and weeks talking about what we saw there. Ernest and I are putting your bear in a book. We're putting you in it too. What will you call me in the book? Your real name, Christopher Robin. We're still at the Hamptons International Film Festival reviewing some films that have just come out, but it's a couple weeks later. But we also have Diane Barrett with us, who brought us to the River Run Film Festival, who we've mentioned many, many times. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Diane. Yeah, you. Thanks for having me to the Hampton I know. Where, where, by the way, a couple of the comments of the festival have said that these movies are so sad. And uh, by the way, that it does seem to be this sort of plethora of, oh my, <laughs> no mm-hmm. else to say it. But so we all went to Goodbye, Christopher Robin today, and I don't know whether I should break out into Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, or the Christopher Robin song, which we're going to play a little bit of here, because how can we not? And again, I think we should make the most yeah, of Chris, Diane. Well, yeah, Diane, Diane, what is that song? It's Chris- Christopher Robin. Uh, something, something, yeah. Um, and it is the story behind the Winnie the Pooh book. And what was so sad at the end, when the, when the lights went up, I turned to O'Toole and said, now they had to ruin that too. You know, no offense, but if anything was a clean children's book that had nothing controversial around it whatsoever, it was Winnie the Pooh. And we have to start by saying that Winnie the Pooh, by the way, is considered to be the most successful children's book. What were some of those numbers you were plugging at us at all? Like six billion copies in a, you know... Yes, and even to this day, Forbes magazine, even a few years back, said it was one of the most successful franchises in terms of merchandising. And of course, the widow of A.A. A. Milne did sell it to someone who sold it to Disney. The day he died. You know, I, we don't know if it was the after. day, but yeah, exactly. So. Um, and now, by the way, the Winnie the Pooh, I also didn't know there was a real Christopher Robin, and this was the son of him. He was, it was his son. And the stuffed animals were the stuffed animals he played with. And he actually... Christopher Robin, his son, the stories that were told in Winnie the Pooh were very much the stories he made up in his child's play. The creatures in the story are toys. They're toys, but the woods are real. Winnie the Pooh, it's rather inexplicable. Yes. The original stuffed animals are sitting at the New York Public Library, and all I could think of is why aren't they in England? And they attract 750,000 visitors a year. And I'm going to go this year, so there's going to be 750,001. <laughs> but why aren't they in England? Is it because we always pay more money for everything? What do you think? I mean, we'll have to, we'll have to track down that chain of custody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, great performances, all. Yes. I love Donald Gleason and Hollister. I feel like this brings us full circle to our very first Hamptons International Film Festival experience. 
because the first time we were here years, years back ago, now, they were fetting Donald Gleason as one of the young actors to watch. What was he in that year that actor. they were saying that about? What was it? He was in the movie About Time. Oh, right. With Margot Robbie. Yeah, and here he is again. And Margot Robbie plays I hated his wife. Her. Well, I hated her. I, I thought, thought she's she the worst mother job. in the history of the world. But <laughs> maybe I should like her better because she makes me look so good. But can I just say that? She, it was a really tough role because she was the most self-involved individual I think I've ever seen on the screen for a woman, don't you but think? But I thought she had some moments where, you know, they humanized her. I thought Margot Robbie did a terrific job she with did, that role. But what was one redeeming feature about this woman's personality? I liked how she played with the stuffed animals. Again, yeah, she voices. had the voices of the stuffed animals. Remember she Okay, she did. Around That's one and, re and name one talk. more. Redeeming Okay, I've got a big one. At okay. the very beginning, when they're introducing us to the characters, and you realize that Donald Gleason is playing A.A. Milne, who's completely suffering from PTSD. He, Not by the way, what a beautiful yet. portrayal so you can really understand how PTSD, you can't leave behind the past. You just mm -hmm. can't leave it behind. Life is full of frightful things. The great thing is to find something to be happy about. I think I've got something for us. And she was done. very good. When he was having his horrible flashbacks, she was very good at getting him out of those moments. Excuse me. She self-centeredly, oh my God. She self-centeredly said to him, stop it, I don't want to talk about this anymore. There was that moment. But before <laughs> that moment, she had some very nice moments where, you know, he walks into the dance hall and he has a flashback. That one and moment she, she did, but mostly it was, was about, I don't one. want to do, I don't want to be involved in your problems, so stop them in front of me. And then she left him and went to, I mean, this woman didn't have a lot she of... She thought he was suffering, as Fran Lebowitz would say, not just from writer's block, but perhaps writer's blockade. <laughs> I'm not saying she was Mother Teresa, but I think there were some humanizing moments. Okay, now Will Tilston plays Christopher Robbins at a very young age, and it's his first film, and his dimples are deeper than the Grand Canyon. I mean... Is it just me, or did he look a little like Gina Davis? What? <laughs> Diane. <laughs> Gina <laughs> Davis? The dimples, if you look at that boy's face, I think he looks like a very young version of a now Gina Davis. Huh. Oh, no, no, no. I absolutely can see it, especially from the bottom half. But he was lovely, and he was so charming. And didn't you just want to take him home? I wanted to eat him up. I thought he was great. And I thought he also portrayed the pain of a child's confusion at feeling like, I know that I'm being betrayed. You know, basically they paraded him around after the book came out, to help sell copies by saying, here's Christopher Robin, and he had to go and do all these interviews and everything. And you could see on his face, and he acted it much more than said it, betray the betrayal, of, you, you're just confused because you don't expect your parents to betray you. So when they did betray him, it was a mixture of confusion and sadness, and it was very poignant and really heart-wrenching. You know what I was thinking? To bring our experience at the Hamptons International Film Festival full circle, so the first year we were here, they're fetting Donald Gleason, and the very first podcast we ever did was, I see it was meaningful for you, Hollister. <laughs> it meant something to me. You know, we're talking about 180 podcasts ago, really? It's true. We were gonna... Gone Baby Gone. Oh. And do you remember the plot point there where Rosamund Pike yeah. plays the child of two people who right. wrote children's books, and huh. she was the character in that story, and look how she turned out. 
And you I know, that's thinking, such a good, that's a really good connection you know, though, to all. The moral of the really story is, might yeah. be, don't let your parents turn you into a children's book character. Radio interview, newspaper interview, he can't do all this. He's rather good at it. He's a little boy. Now, in real life, Christopher Robbins has never taken a dime that his parents made off of his stories. And also, there's one line in the movie which we can share with you, and still not a plot spoiler, where he says, his father says, but you wanted me to write you a book. And he said, I wanted you to write a book for me, not about me. It's a great line. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's a really good parental lesson of kids want to be with you, not have you showcase them, you know, to others. It's not, they don't want you to take them on parade. They want you to just be with them. And you had a great statistic, actually, about some sort of study that had been done, I think, O'Toole, about how um, parents who play with kids. Oh, well, we were talking about this. They showed, Diane, you saw the film. It was a documentary about Jane Goodall. Yes. And yes. the name of it was? Jane. 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 Okay. <laughs> well, easy boy. to remember. It's very creative. Very creative. And buried the lead in that title. But I heard Jane Goodall speak once, and she said that the one behavior that correlated in her studies of chimps between chimps that turned out very secure and the ones that turned out insecure was how much their parents, or their mother in particular, played with them. So she said if a mother chimp and a baby chimp played a lot, that baby chimp grew up with okay, more. Okay, I have another thing to be guilty about. <laughs> um, I thought that was really interesting, though. And you're right, his mother did play. You're right, Diane. He, she did her voices for And she's also the one who, one who bought him those stuffed animals. And we were talking, too, that back then it was a different time. Certainly mm -hmm. it was so long ago, and I suppose they were aristocrats, so that had different rules, too. But the woman who played the nanny, I thought that was a wonderful character. God bless Mummy. God bless Daddy. God bless New. Amen. Forgotten someone? Who? Keep thinking. Me! I forgot to bless me. God bless me. Have you seen her in anything else? Kelly McDonald was her name, and she's been in Transpotting, Gosford Park, Nanny McPhee, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. Gosh, I have not, I, do you recall she's seeing a, her? Yes, she's you a do? Scottish act, actress, and I, I love just, huh. I love her and her acting. She's one of those people that I will actually go see a film if she's in it. Well, it's funny you say that because her acting is very understated. And I, I love understated actors where they don't feel like they need to say, here I am on the screen, that they basically let you find them rather than put themselves in front of you. She was marvelous. I, I think she's yeah. definitely worth um, mentioning yeah. in this film. And I think it was when she was on the screen that people really started to weep. So that scene where she starts to mm -hmm. weep, it triggered off a chain effect mm -hmm. in our theater. The most amazing part of the film for me was when he's decided he's going to write this book about his Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh and all of his little gang, gang of cohorts. And he brings out the illustrator. Mm -hmm. And so Christopher Robbins is playing and the illustrator is capturing these moments of play that you then see later in the book. Because I've always felt that Winnie the Pooh was not just written so well, but really the illustrations were the thing that made the book what it was. Mm -hmm. Because, and when you see that those illustrations, when you see somebody physically actually in those positions of the same illustrations that we've all come to love in it, I thought this is the moment that says, when you bring an illustrator together with a great writer, you've got magic, you know? 
One or the other doesn't work. It has to work together. And the two of them were loving these moments that Christopher Robbins was giving them. And I thought it was a beautiful moment on film. I really did. Let's be hunters in the snow. Come on, don't get frostbite. Don't you think they did a great job? They showed the child playing and then it sort of slowly transformed into the actual illustration. That's you, what, yeah, exactly. You probably understand that O'Toole better than well, we I do. those transitions, they were beautifully they were done. Beautiful. I so, yeah. And, you know, the, the ongoing popularity of Winnie the Pooh is truly amazing. I didn't realize in 2006, Winnie the Pooh was given a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It was the 80th birthday of the Winnie the Pooh book, which... Brings me to another little piece of trivia. Winnie the Pooh was born the same year as Queen Elizabeth. Oh. And A.A. A. Milne had dedicated a 1926 book of songs to the then Princess Elizabeth. So this year, to mark the 90th anniversary, they've come out with another book where Winnie the Pooh meets the Queen at Buckingham Palace. And they've added in Prince George and a balloon. So now he's got the balloon. And the audiobook version is read by Hollister, one of your faves, Jim Broadbent. Huh. And that's enough. I, why do we always have to do more? I, in a way, leave Christopher Robin as he was originally written and quit making more money by adding on. Like, sometimes more is just more. It's not always better. You know what I mean? really sort of is disturbing to me. Okay, the other message that I thought was so beautiful in the film that we really need to acknowledge is the book that Milne wanted to write was a book that would prove that World War I stopped all wars. Mommy says you're writing a book to stop people going to war. Mm. I think your book is a jolly good idea. You're the only one that does. I'd really like if you wrote a book. And there's this moment in time in the movie when he's explaining what, what his philosophy on this is, is what if war was not an option? What if, you know, there wasn't, that it was, was not an option and we had to find another way because it just wasn't an option. If the option was taken off the table, what would happen with the world? And she says, it's brilliant. His wife says, who you love and I think is really evil. I think, you know, people criticize <laughs> me for- I don't think it's one or the other. People criticize me for Corella DeVille. I mean, Corella DeVille compared to this woman is like, you know, Snow White, but anyway. And she says to him, that's like saying that you're going to ban all Wednesdays. I, I, you know, I thought it was, a, you know, you can't ban Wednesdays. They just are. And her, her premise was war is a part of the fabric of who we are as human beings and you can't take it away. And A, I was really sad in that moment. B, I thought it was a really thoughtful thing to consider. And you know what? Here's another moment where I thought she was very humanized, especially the way Margot Robbie did it, is her reaction to the telegram. Oh, that's fair enough. A. A. Milne, he did write the book that he wanted to write, Railing Against War. Later after that, actually. Yeah. And then he was for appeasement. But then he kind of recanted a little bit when Hitler came to power. But then he served again as captain of the British Home Guard in World War II. So he really did serve in both World Wars. Academy Awards, ladies? Well, I've always loved Donald Gleason, so I wouldn't be surprised if he got a nod. And, you know, this has got to be at least the third podcast we've done on him. And we last saw him just a couple weeks ago in Mother, where he played opposite his real-life brother, Breen Gleason, and their father is the famous Irish actor Brendan Gleason. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Academy Award? A nod, possibly. Yeah. It's I, I agree. I don't I don't think it's gonna be a win, but mm -hmm. I think it could be a nod. Yeah. See, I don't think any of the actors will be nominated. I think the film might be nominated. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that the actors 
are, are I don't think that the the need for a strong performance was there, you know, except for maybe him, you know, especially with the flashbacks and stuff, which I thought he did very, very well. Ready to put the smile back on our faces? You know, it's funny because the Hamptons Film Festival is known for showing Academy Award uh, nominations. Last year, I think there were 38 nominations out of the um, films that they showed. And so people here are always saying, well, they, they're bringing it in because of the Academy Awards or whatever. But I don't know about that. But I do think that this is a wonderful movie, but it's not for kids. And I think people are going to look at the trailer and they're going to think it's a children's movie. And I just want to go on record and say it's not. Yeah, it lives up to its title. It's really saying goodbye, <laughs> goodbye. Christopher Robin. But we should also mention the director, Simon Curtis. Yeah. And he's directed Woman in Gold, which we reviewed, and My Week with to, Marilyn. To not good reviews, I might add. Mm -hmm. Woman and in Gold's got terrible reviews. You'll recall that he's married to... Wait, don't tell me. Oh, she t did a cameo. I know. He's married mm -hmm. to the woman who did a cameo in Woman in Gold, mm -hmm. and her name is... Okay, and here's your clue. She was on Down Abbey. No, she also was in Ordinary People. Uh, I forget her name. Elizabeth McGovern. Elizabeth McGovern. <gasps> oh, really? Yeah, Lady Claude, yeah. that's Simon Curtis's yeah. wife. I'm oh. surprised he didn't give her a cameo in this. Well, it's a must-see, but again, not a kid's movie, not a kid's movie, nay, nay, nay. Okay, I have major, major trivia. Ready? So, Milne, the creator of Winnie the Pooh, they lived in the English countryside of East Sussex on Cotchford Farm, where he was inspired to, to create and write Winnie the Pooh. Okay, so this was also the last home of the Rolling Stones founder, Brian Jones, and where he died, drowned in the swimming pool. Mm. Yes, the just curse. I, I just thought I should share mm. that. It's the mm. curse of Winnie the Pooh. I know, right? Did you yeah. know A.A. Milne was also an early screenwriter in the newly minted what British film industry? He wrote a ton of stories, but I mean, it was way before our time. Some of them were silent films. Mm. So, yeah, they were filmed like around 1920. Can you think of a good name for a donkey? But, okay, I have to ask, who's your favorite Winnie the Pooh character? It's so easy. Really? Eeyore. I would say the same thing. Yes, yeah. so funny, because I'm not Eeyore. just saying, Mr. Gray, I loved Eeyore. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. But, Hollister, you were telling me something interesting recently about how they were trying to tamp down on Eeyore because he was too negative. Yeah. That's why we like him so much. <laughs> We Rally identify with Hannibal Eeyore. Lecter. You know, come on. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, Eeyore. It's all the same. Identify. I know, right? well, There's nothing better than that picture of Eeyore with the cloud of rain just pouring down on him when everybody else is sitting in sunlight. You know, That's it's a moment. Enough, right? Yeah. The other reason I love Eeyore is because any book that's only sunny I just think it's really hard to, It's you know, not realistic. No, well, you know, it just sets up an expectation that can't be fulfilled, and then you're screwed. So for <laughs> me, I really like that Eeyore brings us all back to, to the fact that not every day is filled with sunshine, and that's okay. You know, Eeyore's okay. Mm -hmm. He's okay with mm -hmm. his life, mm -hmm. and he's okay with his friends, mm -hmm. and I, I think Eeyore's a great character, the best by far. Evening news with Paul Christopher on the front page. There's one part in it, and then we won't share it anymore, but one part in it where 
they go to the zoo, and the zookeeper actually puts poor little six-year-old oh. Christopher Robbins oh. in to get a picture taken next to the bear. And a in the credits, man. because we always have to stay for the credits whenever we see a movie with O'Toole, did you see that picture, Diane, in the uh, credits? Where, it was uh, very disturbing. <laughs> There's this terrified child standing next to a friggin' bear. Oh, God, it was so unbelievably concerning and his parents were right there when this mm-hmm. was going on so it's very very shocking mm-hmm. so but i do think it might get you know a big nomination i think it might be right at the top of the list there why does everyone like winnie the pooh so much after the war there was so much sadness then winnie the pooh came along yeah oh wait was that a movie or was that a tv show it was a tv show i think wasn't no it? it was on one of those one of those, you know, free to be you and me kind of tapes. They used to drive oh, me crazy in the Raffy? car. Raffy? Yes, it was Raffy. <laughs> yep, exactly. Well done, well done. Okay, big list of six father-son movies this week. Yes, inspired, of course, by our movie of the week by Christopher Robin. Um, all right, so do you want to you want to kick us off? Okay, I have the feeling this might be on your list too, but I'm going to start with Sleepless in Seattle. Oh my God! You know, you're such you're such a stealer. See, that's what you get for letting me go first. But you can add another one to your list. This is the one I like. There is no way that we are going on a plane to meet some woman who could be a crazy, sick lunatic. Didn't you see Fatal Attraction? (laughs) Good choice. Now, why do you think it's a good choice? Because he's a widower. Yeah. He's not sharing the screen with another co-parent. And they have a very good bond. And I think they really have each other's best interests at heart. I couldn't agree more. It was, for me, the reason I, I was picking that is because the connection between the two of them was entertaining, poignant, serious. You know, he wasn't always the nice dad or whatever, you know. So, um, yeah, so I like that choice. Good choice. But that was one of mine, too. So we're only going to have five this week, which is okay, we've decided, because you guys can write in your choices, and we'll pick one from them for next week. Perfect. Okay, so I'm going to do the judge. Oh, <laughs> it's your list, Hollister. You get to put whatever. Okay, we reviewed you this movie, and you all may recall that O'Toole didn't like the movie, and I did. And the reason I chose it is to make you crazy. <laughs> Where'd you pull me out of Boy Scouts? As punishment for blowing up the Macross mailbox with M80s. I was 13. That you remember? Oh, that. Old enough to know better. You didn't come to my high school graduation or college. Why? Jail time. Truancy. I was going to reward anything. I graduated from law school, for Christ's sake. As opposed to what, dropping out? Let me tell you something, okay? Here. I put a roof over your head, money in your pocket, clothes on your back, food in your mouth. Who paid for that college education? Your mother? Well, I'm going to try to resist going crazy, but... But you have to admit, the father-son relationship in there is trying and difficult and... I don't know. I thought it was really good. And so you put it on your list because... To make you crazy. Oh, that was that was the sole motivation. Yeah. yeah. Why do I need more than that? No. Okay, you're going to try to give me my own little post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> All right. Well, I put on this one might surprise you, but I'm going to go with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade huh. with Sean Connery and Harrison Ford. Speaking really? of bonds... Dad! Oh, Dad! Oh, Dad! Oh, head for the fireplace! Oh. I loved that scene with the umbrella, with the birds on the beach. I actually even think they looked like each other in this movie. Huh. And I thought it was a nice touch that they added the older generation to the sequel. Very interesting choice. I like that choice, actually. Thank you. I mean, all things considered, I think it's interesting. Okay, I'm going to go with The Champ. Oh. Do you know the film? I've never seen it. 
Okay, well, you know, it's it's a good it's a good film, and I, I I don't know. I like the father son. I like it. It's got fear. It's got everything in it. So for me, the champ was the next good choice around it. Okay. What do you have next? Yep. For my last one, I'm going to go with the thing about my folks, written by Paul Reiser, starring Paul Reiser and Peter Falk, and it co-starred Elizabeth Perkins, Olympia Dukakis, and Anne Dowd from The Handmaid's Tale. Huh. Um, I don't, why don't I know that film? When did it come out and should I go see it? It came out a while ago, 2005. Huh. It's a father-son movie where they go on a road trip. The best time I ever had with my father was when he was having maybe the worst time of his life. As you always picture fathers and sons. That's the thing you're supposed to do. We go camping together and fishing. Okay. What are you doing? I don't want you to resemble. We never fished. I think I actually got something. What are, you, what are you doing? Poor thing can't breathe. Oh, and what do you think? Hitting them's going to help him? What are you hitting them for? I'm not hitting yeah, them. Yeah, you just smacked. Why would you hit a fish? All right, well, I'm going to go with... It's funny because Cra- I couldn't decide between Kramer versus Kramer and Sleepless in Seattle, which is really the same father-son relationship. Do you know what I mean? It's it's very true. It's just one has a happier tone. Um, you know, why don't I ever pick those movies that are sort of happy talk, but I don't. Because you leave the fluff to me. My last one that I picked was Fences. Oh. Yeah. But that wasn't the best father-son relationship, was it? That garbage sitting in there overflowing, you ain't done none of your chores, now you come in here talking about, yeah. I was just getting ready to do my chores now. Pa. Your first chore is to help me with this fence on Saturday. Everything else come after that. Now, get that saw, we're going to cut these boards. Well, when you define best, does it have to be happy? No, it's a terrible father-son relationship, but I thought it was really well done. I thought that the introduction of their relationship was understandable on both sides. I like it because I could see how it crumbled. You know, I mean, it was so clear to me that both sides had issues. One or the other wasn't totally in the right. So for me, it was really well done. So yeah, I'm sticking with my pick. Okay. Don't you attack my pick. Hollister knows best. Why was that on your thing? Fathers knows best. Oh, phew. All right. So why don't we? We should do best friends next time and see what I come up with. That's a really good idea. I know. And see if I come up with some really trashy bad friendships. All right. I'm all over it like glue. Okay. Over and out.